Good morning, everyone. Good morning. What a great hymn to start with. Let's pray. Our Father, we just commit this time to you. We want to focus upon your word because your word is all that matters because it tells us about the one, the glorious, greatest one, our Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. May he be first and foremost before us this morning. In his precious name. Amen. In the kingdom of God, one of the um, maxims, I suppose you might call it, one of those, one of the truths of the kingdom of God is that the way down is the way up. There is humility before there is glorification. We've been looking in the book of Isaiah for the last few months um, about the servant of Jehovah. He replaced the unfaithful servant, Adam, who failed. In our first passage we looked in Isaiah chapter 42 verses 1 to 3 where God declared and he said this is my servant whom I have chosen my chosen one in whom I delight so this is a special one that's coming and in chapter 49 verses 1 to 7 we looked at the servant himself and he declared before I was born the Lord called me from my birth he made mention of my name. He acknowledged that he was uniquely connected to the Father, that they were actually equal. But he was going to step down in humility and take the role of a servant. In Isaiah chapter 50 verses 4 to 9, one of those passages that I really love, he wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. If you want to be taught by God, then you need to open this every morning. You need to set aside time to spend in God's word to hear his voice speaking to you. I can testify that if we're talking with Jordan yesterday about putting God on a diet, cutting back on commitment to him and how your faith and your standing and your life goes downhill in the process. Today we begin to look at the fourth and final portion in Isaiah concerning this um, obedient servant of Jehovah. It starts in chapter 22 verse 13 and goes to chapter 3, to the end of chapter 3. But today we're going to look at just the, the three verses 
in Isaiah chapter 52. So we'll read those now. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were astonished at you, my people. His, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus will he sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, and what had not been told them they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. It's interesting the order in which this prophecy is set out, because this was written about 750 years before the Lord Jesus, who is the, the obedient servant of Jehovah, was in fact the Lord Jesus. Uh, Matthew showed us that. But here the order is reversed a little and verse 13 deals with his exaltation and verse 14 with his humiliation and then in 15 there is the recognition of his exaltation. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and was set down at the right hand of the glory of God. Who for the joy that was set before him. He was here in heaven. There was joy for him there in exaltation. But in between there was the valley that he had to go through. So we'll look at verse, verse 13 to begin with. This desired joy. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and highly exalted. He will prosper. He will achieve everything that God, his Father, had given him to do. He, when he came, he said, I, I only do what my Father has commanded me to do. And this scripture tells us, 750 years before he came, the prophet was able to declare that he would obey everything that his Father gave him and told him to do. And he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. And we see in this, there are three thoughts. He will rise, he will, he will be exalted, and he will stand very high. The three verbs thus signifying progress, result, and climax of that exaltation. The escalating exaltation of Christ may be considered under three steps. First, he was lifted up. The prophet said he was lifted up. He will be made my servant, he will be, he will be high and lifted up. What's meant by this lifting up? What was it? Well, actually, our Lord Jesus tells us 
In John chapter 12 and verse 32, he said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to me. That initial lifting up, that first step in his exaltation, was actually to be nailed on a cross. I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to me. And when we look around the world today, we know that's true. Secondly, what's the next step? The next step was, the scripture says that he would not remain in the grave. That he would rise again. He would not see corruption. He would rise again. So he rose from the dead and he ascended back to heaven. That was the next step in his exaltation. And then thirdly, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His glorification came at the Father's right hand. The highest pitch of of honour, the loftiest possible rank, shall be his. As we read in Isaiah, in Hebrews chapter chapter 12, verse 2, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and was sat down at the right hand. And it's interesting that the same progression that we see in Isaiah 52, verse 13, is also present in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year of, of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. He was lofty. He was exalted. And the reign of his... And the... His throne... The train of his throne, of his robe, filled the temple. But this, we're looking at one who has humbled himself and will be exalted. But what of one who decides that he is going to exalt himself? What of one who doesn't want to be humbled? If we go to Isaiah chapter 14. Now this one is one that the scripture called Lucifer. The son of the morning, the most beautiful of all of God's creations, the greatest angel of them all. But he he was proud. Verse 13. Just listen to what he said. Listen to what his ambition was. And listen to the I wills. 
But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. He wanted to set himself up equal with God. And what does God say to this demonstration of raw pride? He says, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the pit, to the recesses of the pit. And now today, he is the enemy of souls, the devil, who is set completely, utterly against anything and everything about God and his people. Now, for the Lord Jesus to be exalted, he needed first to be humbled. But he despised that cost. Verse 14, as many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. That's from the ESV. In the King James, those who are familiar with the old beloved King James will remember that the word used was astonished, which is an old English word, archaic word, which meant dazed, bewildered, filled with consternation, petrified with horror. And it was much it had a much stronger meaning and impact than our word astonished, which probably is a little bit overused. In Daniel, Daniel records a terrible situation that occurred when a pagan king took a pig and sacrificed it on the altar in the temple. And it was called the abomination of desolation. The des and this word desolation is the same word astonished or astonished. It's, it's utter devastation at what has happened. Actually, when we use the word astonished, we should really remember its derivation because it comes from the Latin, and the Latin word is the word thunder. So if you're astonished, you should be thunderstruck. And what is it? What is it that we should be thunderstruck about? It says that his appearance was marred. That which men could look upon was marred. We read in the Gospels how he was punched, how he was slapped, how he was whipped with a lash how his body was nailed to a cross, how a spear was thrust into, thrust into his side. 
he was beaten more than any man. One of our sons had a friend who got set upon by a group of thugs and beaten very badly. And he was, we knew who he was because of where he was, but we, his appearance was such that if we didn't, if we saw him somewhere else, we wouldn't know who he was. He was so badly beaten that we couldn't recognize him. Now the scripture says that Jesus Christ in that situation was beaten more than any man. When Hollywood makes movies about the Lord Jesus, they don't seem to get that one. He's always a good looking man with a nice flowing beard and nice flowing locks um, and hardly a mark on him. But our Saviour was beaten to a pulp. And it occurred to me this morning when I was thinking about this that if, the, if that cross that he was hanging on had not had a, a sign on it that said Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, they wouldn't have known who, who was there. If they knew him, they wouldn't have recognised him. That's how badly beaten he was. But it also says that his form was marred. So there's a difference here. His appearance was marred, his form was marred. <coughs> now we're looking at what man cannot look upon. He was made sin for us. Think about that. He was made sin for us. His anguish in the garden was not due to physical suffering. It was due to, to spiritual suffering. He was confronted with that cup of wrath that the Father required him to drink. And in his agony, in that sweat of blood that flowed from him, he said, not my will, but yours be done. He suffered the punishment of every sinner who ever lived for every sin they ever committed. There's a man, Stephen Bridge, he's the, he supervises the trust that looks after the garden tomb in Jerusalem. And he said this, Never was there a countenance which so beamed with holiness, yet never was there one so deeply furrowed with the lines the curse had made. That's our saviour. That's the level, the, the depth to which he was willing to humble himself in obedience to his father. But because of that humbling, because of that obedience 
to the will of his Father, there is going to be an exaltation. So in verse 15, we go back and focus again on his exaltation. And he will startle, this is from the New Living Translation, and he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence, for they will see what they have had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. And you notice here, it might be different from your translation. Here, the word is used is startled. And the suggestion is because that Hebrew word has within it also the, the thought of amazement, of being caused to wonder, of being astonished and surprised. So here we have a similar reaction to the one of those who looked upon the Lord Jesus when he was being beaten. But he will startle many nations. When Peter went to the tomb to look and looked in and saw the grave clothes there completely undisturbed and the body of Jesus gone, he went away marvelling. Same word. He went away marvelling at what had happened. In verse 14, we're, we're told that they were astonished. There was a, a reaction of mind-numbing horror. But in verse 15, there is a startling, a reaction of mute wonderment. <clears throat> Isaiah 49, verse 7. This is one of those things that I am looking forward to. Thus the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. He had been the servant of rulers, but now kings will see you and rise up. Princes will also bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. To shut the mouths here indicates veneration and admiration. There's a, a totally new reaction here the servant of Jehovah, whose inhuman sufferings excited such astonishment, is exalted on high, so that from utter amazement the nations tremble and their kings are struck dumb. That's a quote from Kiel and Dilisic. Jared Knoll was a 19th century hymn writer, and he said this, if many were astonished at his humiliation, a far greater number will be astonished at his exaltation. The expression, 
The kings shall stand speechless implies the submission of whole nations. Here represented by the kings. Now we read, for he will, for they will see what they, for they will see what they have not been told. As they look upon the, our glorified Lord Jesus, still bearing the marks of Calvary, those wounds will never heal. I believe that in heaven you'll be able to put your finger where Thomas put his finger. And you'll be able to put your hand where Thomas put his hand. They're not scars. They're not scars. They're wounds. Evidence of his sacrifice for us. The humiliation and the exaltation of the servant of Jehovah, which they had no interest in, didn't want to know about, Governments, regimes all over the world are making the Bible almost a forbidden book. And some of them have. But they will be suddenly astonished at what is before them. They will understand what they have not heard about the full implication will be revealed to them, including their lost state, including the judgment yet to come. So what does this mean for us? What is the desired response from us? What is it that God wants from us? Well, first of all, our Lord Jesus is our example. Because he is our saviour, he is our example. Because he is our Lord, we want to emulate him. And for him, the way down into humiliation was the way up into exaltation. For us, we need to follow the same pattern. In Philippians chapter 2, we read from verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Notice this is addressed to us. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So just as there were three steps in his exaltation, there were three steps in his humiliation. First, he emptied himself. 
he stepped out of heaven and became a man. Then he humbled himself. He took upon himself the form of a servant and he became subject to his father's every direction. And he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He surrendered himself. So that's the pattern that's before us. So we go a little further in, in Philippians 2, go to verse 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We need to seek God's guidance. We need to seek the blessed Holy Spirit's help in learning how our Lord would have us act. The way down is the way up. James chapter 4 verse 10 Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. This is a promise. This is a promise, but humble yourself now in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. He will exalt you in his time. That exaltation is not going to happen today or tomorrow. But it will happen. Pray God that it is so. Let's pray. Our Father, we just for your precious word. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, just impact upon our minds this pattern that our Lord Jesus set before us. We want to be your servants. We want to serve our Saviour. We want to bring glory, honour and praise to our Lord Jesus, not to ourselves. Lord, guide us, we pray, in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.